0: This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangraff. BTL is brought to you by Lorraine's, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline. Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guy Bats.
1: BTL, coming at ya!
0: Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we're going to talk about bass fishing. And bass boats and fishing history and all sorts of cool stuff today. Always one of the favorite guests. Uh, A longtime supporter of uh, BTL and a guy that I always enjoy uh, talking with on the phone. After I get off the phone with him, I'm always like, I don't know how he gets anything done because it's always like a 45-minute, hour-long conversation. Very engaged. Always learn a lot. And that would be uh, president of Bass Cap Boats and Yarcraft, Mr. Rick Pierce from his office. Uh, in Arkansas. So we will get to Rick here in a minute. A couple, uh, little housekeeping tips and things that are going on in the world of professional bass fishing. We have three new additions to the 2023 Bassmaster Classic, which will be in Tennessee this upcoming March. Will Davis Jr. wins the, uh, Bass Nation Championship on Pickwick. Really tough Pickwick, brutally tough Pickwick. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, it's because of his dad, William Davis. He's the one who started the uh, Davis Bait Company. And kind of a, a funny story there. One of the first articles that I ever ro- wrote, written, wrote one of the first articles that I ever wrote back in the day for Bass West Magazine was a uh, profile on Davis Bait Company. Uh, and at the time, Will Davis Jr. was like in high school, and I think was trying to figure out on where he was going to fish collegiately. Uh, and now he's has the potential to fish the Bassmaster Elite Series, should he choose, and also uh, is in the Bassmaster Classic, $20,000. Uh, had like a 16-plus pound bag uh, on the final day. So big shout-out to Will Davis Jr. Uh, Wednesday's guest actually knows him uh, pretty well, I think, and that would be none other than Ken Duke, who will make an appearance uh, on Wednesday on BTL. Uh, Tristan McCormick tomorrow... Uh, on BTL to talk about returning to the Classic after his uh, Bassmaster Open win a couple weeks ago on uh, in South Carolina. Uh, on the MLF side, uh, a lot of changes in the, I guess, leadership or top-down. I've got a press release that they came out with Wednesday after the show. Uh, Jim Wilburn stepping down as president and CEO moving into a, a semi-retirement role uh, with... MLF, Uh, Don Ruck stepping down as the MLF executive uh, vice president and general manager at the end of the year. He will remain active with the company as an executive advisor. Uh, And Boyd Duckett is now the president and CEO of Major League Fishing, including all tournament operations and support staff. And then they came out with the 80 anglers who are fishing in the uh, 2023 Bass Pro Tour. And Duckett is on the list, so I guess he is... He is the, what did I have it here? He is the president and CEO and head of all tournament operations and support staff. And he's competing, which led me down a wormhole to see in the history of professional sports. Has there ever been, you know, there's been like a, a manager, player, or an owner that has played too. But my question is, has there ever been like a a league owner or president or anything that has also played in the league uh, and I haven't been able to find that, but, you know, there's a number of different owners for uh, Major League Fishing who all compete. But uh, the best I could come with was Athletes Unlimited Softball, which is currently going on right now. And it's this they have this weird deal where, like, the players all own it and then they get points based on how they played. So they have individuals and then they play on teams. It's crazy. Anyway, Uh Let's get to our guest today. I'm excited for this one. I have a list of things that I wanted to cover and I I the, whenever we have Rick on, he never we never actually follow the uh follow the script. But heck, that's the way it goes. Rick, thanks for joining us. BTL President of Bass Cap Boats, Rick Pierce. How are you doing? Thanks for jumping on BTL this morning.
2: I'm pretty good, man. Thanks for having me this morning here, Matt.
0: It was. Do you ever do you, are you a a Googler? Rick, I mean, I know you have a crazy amount of knowledge in your head, but are you one of those guys who when something piques your interest, you hop on the computer and go down the Google wormhole to try to find out more about it?
2: I think everybody does that today. I'm not as bad as some. You know, I've got guys that work here for us, and they'll just say something right away. They're on their phone Googling it, you know, and I'm not that bad. But, no, if I'm interested in something, I'll do the research.
0: I feel like you have a lot of research, like, in your head, like the stories that you're able to come up with in your in your mind are uh you, you're kind of like your own google machine especially when it comes to the history of uh of bass fishing and and boating
2: yeah god bless me with a lot of a lot of retention i guess my memory is pretty good and so i i get to remember things and um that's just fortunate i mean that's i i tend to remember a lot of things so um, places you know
0: we scheduled this out. Heck, we scheduled it out like a month in advance. And then uh I gotta be honest, Rick. So we scheduled before I went to Hartwell and I had it in my in my uh my schedule on my phone, right? So when I book guests, I put them in the phone. And then I went and dropped my phone in the lake at Hartwell. First yeah, day of practice. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to remember and make sure that you were on the phone. 14th but we scheduled it out in advance because you've been on the road pretty much for the last month at different uh events functions tournaments where they're giving away cats all sorts of stuff so it's been yeah, a minute been since a you've been lot. in the office
2: we did SEMA two weeks ago I went and did SEMA I took a young man here Dalen Owens we went out and did SEMA for two days and burned it um you know we do a lot and uh I've been out west and of course one bass and we were supposed to be at lake x but a little uh little thing called nicole blew through florida and changed that plan and so we didn't have that lake x event so uh we've gotten involved and in, i guess probably this morning or tomorrow tomorrow morning mercury's got a big release on a new product so it's coming out tomorrow
0: i saw that you mentioned uh sema so uh I guess that's kind of a parallel show to ICAST. I know there's several of the anglers, depending on their, their sponsors, that'll go to SEMA. There's always a couple bass boats there. You talk about it. But, I mean, for those who – I'm not exactly sure what SEMA is and how it's it an works.
2: It's automotive show, and if you ever get time when you're doing nothing, you can look at my Facebook site, and I've got all kinds of albums of cars and things that i put up there. But I've been going to SEMA since before they built the Las Vegas Convention Center.
0: How long ago was that?
2: Oh, I don't know. In the 80s. um, We went years and years ago when they first joined with Apex, and it was all intense, and you had to go to this parking lot and that parking lot, and I mean, it was hard to get around, and we've been going to SEMA for many years, and uh, it's an aftermarket accessory show, and it really gives us a lot of concept knowledge, and uh, believe it or not, all of our little interior light suppliers we get out of Taiwan have come out of SEMA. And so we've We found some pretty cool stuff at SEMA, things that aren't in our industry. And then you get a lot of concept thought. Now, that's changing. When I went to SEMA years ago, it was all really custom cars where they might fu- build a funnel for a stereo woofer in a, the back deck out of fiberglass, or they would build a gauge pod. They were just really cool concepts. Today, it's different and it morphs just like anything does, so today it's all four-wheel drive accessories. There's some cool cars, and you get to see a lot of million-dollar rides, but, uh, you know, um, there's a Pagani there, an Embo, and Enzo, I mean, there's a lot of good cars there that are really unique, but, um, and, they'll, and they're certainly mind-provoking, you know, they'll give you a lot of thought, but uh, really today, it's a lot of trucks, too. I mean, everybody's gone to jacked-up four-wheel drives, and trucks that are you know your your head won't come to the headlight you know <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: so it sounds like it's a little combination trip something that you enjoy your passion but i mean you also literally walk around and see stuff and like, it sounds like with yeah. that lighting like you're like hey that's something we could incorporate into into future cat models
2: that's really all it is um my goal going to SEMA and um D- dalen came with me and he was he's 31 years old and i was dragging him at the end of the day the old man was dragging him and uh we put in 24 miles in two days walking walking holy cats so it's not a we're not taking time to look at cars yeah and you snap a picture on your way by that's a cool car next booth and they're just i know a lot of guys have been to like or shot show in vegas and they built a new convention center at Vegas across and Monorail Rail where you used to park. But from the parking lot all the way across the every convention center building, the new convention center building, and both floors of the Sands Convention Center are all Apex and SEMA.
0: So it's bigger than ICAST. It
2: is the largest show outside of Comdex in the USA. Interesting. So it's huge. And it's an awesome, awesome show. I mean, you know, yeah, You everybody said, oh, you're looking at cars. You know, I came back with all kind of lighting ideas and tires and concepts of wheels and just amazing things you can do. Tools, every tool supplier you can think of. A lot of electric this year. Tremendous amount of electrical influence.
0: We're going to get into that today because one of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, with you uh, as you build bass cap boats, as it seems, specifically over the past four years, massive explosion in the number of inches of of graphs mm. that are on bass boats. And you've been doing this a a long time, but I mean, you're seeing six 12 inch units or four 16 inch units, and then you know he started working with uh, beat down outdoors, and there's all sorts of specialty graph.
2: Those are good guys. Good yeah, guys. there are.
0: Graph companies and things out there now, but it start, It led me to believe, you know, everyone is... De- like, you see Ike, and I feel like Ike sometimes is like, let's put one in the middle of the deck, let's put a ram mount up here on the... I mean, it looks chaos, and then you have others who do the triple, and I was like, dude, well, you're designing I, I, the boats.
2: I started I, all that. I've told that story on Bass Talk Live before, you know? Yep. We built Ike's first boat with... The pair of sevens, I think, are pair of fives as secondary units, and they were on a separate switch, separate power line, and everything for backup. And after that, everybody, whoa, if Mike's doing it, I'm going to do it. So everybody else jumped on board. So now it's pretty common to have. We build boats now with five graphs on them when they leave here.
0: So I was at the at the bass tank getting my my graph or my that mount installed, and the. the he was installing it, and he's like, man, it's, like, perfect for the cat up here. Like, I run the the 2021 20, Puma now, but there's, like, a little deal, and it fits perfectly up there, and, and it led me to believe to you, is that like the next Frontier Bass designs to building front decks and consoles that can accommodate all these crazy graphs?
2: Well, my thought, Matt, for decades now, for several, a couple decades, has been we need to do something like a server rack. So if I had, and it's never going to happen, so I'm going to throw it out there, you know. Okay. Just like a server rack, and you slide your Garmin server plug in here, and you slide your Lawrence computer in here, and then everything plugs in, and we'll have like a wrap screen, like a I flexible wrap screen this. that wraps the front of the boat, So You've got all three screens or four screens, whatever you want on one panel. That's my ultimate end of all thought process.
0: So why don't you think this will ever come to fruition?
2: Uh, we're too small a niche industry. It'll take years. It'll be decades before it comes together. And then the other thing is, quite honestly, every time I've ever came to, I almost had it through with one company. We were really close. Um, but the graph companies all want to control the the display. and then you know, They're really software companies, but they want to sell the diff- display. So when you look at Hummingbird, and I'm sorry for talking about Hummingbird guys, but they're really focused on the super twist display and trying to keep that in their little category you know and that's not even their display they buy that display so it's not like they're building it but all the companies they want to sell displays they want to sell lcds they want to sell complete units and really they're going to have to really change to the way that things are because this little tool in my pocket it has changed the way people think and back about 2007 this device right here changed everything in the world and it's time everybody caught up. And in the bass boat business, we're behind.
0: Not as technologically advanced as the bass boats need to be.
2: That's right. We're not.
0: Does it, So So you've got the, I feel like now you have like the power pole charge and batteries and stuff now that you have apps for on the phone and all that stuff. So, so you're talking about like a, an app, like an app for the entire boat
2: or what? It- I'm not even talking about an app. I'm talking about a separate system, drive system that even devices like this would depend on.
0: That's coming eventually.
2: It will eventually. It's going to have to be outside of our industry because of the cost. and the, I mean, it's really not that much cost, but to bring it forward, um, when you look at cost of technology, it's not that much cost but to bring it forward, it's going to have to develop. And then what's going to happen is eventually somebody will build something where you can plug in. I mean, they can mimic your screen now, but they can't function your screen, you know, so you can mimic your screen. You can show it on the front graph or show it on a front unit, but you can't function it from that unit. So what we need to do is get to where those units will function from separate screens. And eventually it'll happen where somebody figures out the code and or takes the time to effort to put it together and then drops it in a box and it'll come. That's been a 20 year goal of mine ever since we started getting into the, the, uh, 987 SI units. When we worked with the guys at Humminbird on those, when the first SIs were out and we, you know, we worked on the initial onyx, we worked on a lot of products here. You know, we don't just build bass boats. We kind of try to bring the industry forward. That's one of the things people don't realize. And, you've been here and you've seen some of that, you know, and you go back in the back and there were a couple of prototype products that we won't mention the name of the company, but they were here at the time and nobody would seen them, you know, and those are still here. And, you know, I've, I've had my foot on products to come and um, there's still stuff coming, but still yet, I feel like this train's really slow.
0: Just as, as a whole, I mean, has it always been slow? Or, or what, I mean, was there a point in the last 50 years where you think it was it went fast and innovation in bass boats and what you're putting into them was light speed or has it always just been a gradual progression in that, in your opinion?
2: Well, I think it's been slow. Uh, we're, we're relegated to what's already been produced. Okay. So until somebody develops it, I mean, those screens, n- nobody builds their own screen. So they have to buy that from somebody who builds a screen. Now you can adjust it, you can change the overlay, you can change the way the twist works in it. But really that screen, you know, we were one of the few companies in 1992, we were building the, the super dash, which was BP 100 dash. And we actually had our LCD screen totally made. Standish Hamlin built that for us. It was the largest LCD screen they'd ever built in 92. And we'd prototype that in '91, got it all dialed in. And today, people just buy screens. You know, mm-hmm. go to go to Corning and buy what they built. You know.
0: Uh, all right, let's go down this whirlpool. What are some of the craziest concepts, the craziest things that you've seen over the years that haven't taken off? Because so, like, look at vehicles, right? Like, there's crazy stuff in concept vehicles, con- but like bass boats, I don't ever remember seeing like concept bass boats or crazy. I mean, is there stuff that you guys have gone down paths and been like, this is the next thing. And then it isn't. And we have no clue about it.
2: Uh, I'll talk about a couple of things, but you know, um, that there really hadn't been anything way out there. You know, people have talked about covered cockpits and I've thought mm-hmm. about that. There's just no way to get around in them. You'd have to do a split goal wing type doors that open outside. Uh, then you can't get into them. Yeah. Open the top to the outside. That's exactly right. You have to do this. And so you open them reverse because that's where you're at. You're in your cockpits so or wintertime usage. And uh, I mean, that'd be cool. It's nice. Um, a lot of guys are playing with heated seats and cooled seats. But I've I played with, I mean, heated seats. I've played with that. And, you know, the, the components in them, I'm not really sure hold up to the outdoor environment as a nice way to put it. Um <laughs> I think that eventually those that are running heated seats are eventually going to have a problem and it, it could lead to a catastrophic failure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you sit down and you're fry.
2: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah. But basically, um you're not gonna fry yourself with twelve volts, but yeah. you certainly could have a little bit of ignition down there inside of a foam pack. So, you know, it's definitely a challenge and That's been one of our goals is working on, and I really feel like cooled seats will be the next advantage. I mean, I need cooled seats more than I need heated seats in the Mm bass boat. When I'm outside in a bass boat, I got enough gear on. Yeah, that heated seat's nice if I'm in Florida and it's 40 degrees in the morning, but most usually when I'm on the water like right now, it's 23 here this morning. I'm going to be wrapped up, ready to go. So the, the heated seat's not a big advantage to me, and... Heated steering wheel would be nice, but it's not a huge advantage. I mean, they got heated steering wheels and heated parts and snowmobiles with handles and things, those are there. Heated heated gloves would be probably more benefit than anything, you know. But uh, certainly I think cooled is the way to go. So I'd really like to see us work on some cooling. We've done some things. Uh, we're really not there yet, um, but I'd like to see cooled because, you know, most of the time we all use these boats in the summertime. You go to Texas and dude after April in Texas, it gets brutal. And come October it gets over. So you got five months in Texas at so a cool sea to be a really nice thing.
0: Yeah. Has has the uh I guess normalization now, I mean, with the advent of lithiums, uh has that changed a lot of, of of technology that you think you can add? I mean, for a while there it seemed like you would you could max out, you know, AGMs and standard batteries, but now it's kind of limitless with lithiums, isn't it?
2: Yeah, Lithium gives you a big advantage, and they're coming fast. Um, I, I mean, I'll I send you a link later. But there's a guy okay. that breaks down lithium batteries to a tenth degree on YouTube. He does a nice job breaking down the batteries and teaching people about them. And you know, you look at the BMSs, the heaters, the way the cells work. You know, I'm we're tied to a lithium company, and the largest lithium company in the USA had gotten a hold of us, wanting us to private label. They wanted to get started, actually the largest lithium builder in, in China. And they wanted us to do something with them. And so we tied them up with a friend of ours and a friend of ours. And I'm not gonna mention the name, but a friend of ours has got that pack and they worked about four years on that pack and they took it into another battery technology and they've got a really nice piece. I mean, there's still things they need to do. They just got their cranking series in, they released it at ICAST. So lithium's coming really fast but ultimately there's supposed to be 10 steps of battery technology so the air sodium being the final step they say so there's 10 steps in this evolution process that battery technology is going to change according to battery guys that know so this lithium is just like step number three you know it's still going and agm still lead acid battery Mm -hmm. with just a been in it i mean it's just a different type of lead acid so basically, it goes through lithium, it goes through all sorts of other phases, and eventually they feel like air sodium is where it'll land with a lightweight, durable battery, and then something we can deal with in our environment also.
0: All right, and then the other thing that seems to be the hottest thing right now is is either a, a hybrid deck with the foam i know you've talked about this at, before on the show i've talked about it with you over the phone i'm sure you get tired of talking about this but you're seeing some guys that are going with all of whether it's sea foam or some other type of 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 kind of uh i guess saltwater decking for lack of a better word or the hybrid um and it seems like there's kind of a push to get away from carpet, but then you hear some of the guys who say, no, it's been carpet for a reason because there are so many advantages to carpet. Where does that stand now as far as what we're standing on and the, the carpet versus the foam deal on the bass boats? Because I'm kind of confused on that too now moving forward. It's like some guys love it. Some guys don't like it. It's this weird in-between kind of morphing change right now in the industry.
2: Well, I can break that one down for you a little different. Of course, we patented that reflex design that we did. And we've got a patent pending on that. And we filed the patents on that because it's a reverse cut where you can use carpet. The reason we did that and, you know, is to tie it up, of course. But the reason we did that was because um, you've got aluminum lids in most of these boats now. And even if you've got glass lids, you have chafing where it contacts the deck. So if you put trim around the lid, it, it's really hard. Our lids aren't really built to finish on the outside. Now, on your aircraft, on our walleye series, we built an entire line over there that's finished on the outside. So we just put a trim around it. But even then, we get chafing. Now, walleye boats, they use them about five, six months a year. It's not like they use them 12 months a year. And they don't use them, tend to use them as hard usually. So they don't have them near the wear. So I think that helps our walleye line go down that with CDEC or reflex. Um, there's two basic kinds of foam there's an EVA foam and a polyethylene PE foam. And uh, we have both, uh, I tend to like the PE a lot better. Um, there's a couple of different companies using PE. I think it cleans a lot easier than EVA foam. We offer both, we, we don't offer both. We actually have both here in different products. But I do think the PE is a tremendously better product than EVA um, from the standpoint of durability. Uh, I don't like it in the cockpit. A lot of guys like it in the cockpit. You know, Last year we had our custom carpet built, everybody started offering 24 so we moved up and had a custom 28 built so the 24 wasn't custom it's just something they built but the 28 is custom 28 ounce carpet so we're the only ones have it and uh, basically syntech builds that for us it's a really good carpet and it you know a lot of our competition uses like a 15 16 ounce mm-hmm. and so it's tremendously heavier than their carpet and i th- i kind of like the carpet and uh, now we do have foam padded deck you know on just the front deck um, and uh, I, the foam does tend to walk, so I'm kind of 50-50 on the foam decks. I kind of like them without the foam deck, especially the 28-ounce carpet. I think it helps a little bit because you get a little more cush. Um, so going down that theory of reflex, uh, C-deck, or some of the foams and the flooring, I don't like the swirling in the cockpit. So we always fish in the rain. If you're going to fish... <laughs> Tour events, BFLs, you're going to fish in the rain. You're going to fish in the sleet. You're going to fish in the snow. You're going to fish in the worst conditions you can get. And I do not like the cockpit swirl that you get with the foam cockpits. So that water just doesn't absorb in that carpet, and it just sits in there. You're running 50 miles an hour down the lake, and it's just sitting there just swirling in the cockpit. So I don't like that. And it's really hard to drain it also because there's no absorption. So you have to change your entire drain configuration to make it work right. So we're all working on that. And that's a development that takes time. But that gives you a down and out on it. Um, no, I'm not a guy that likes the, the decking. But uh, we had one in last week. We were doing some prototype work on some new dashboards. And so they spent a day. This boat was pristine when they started on it. And they were spending a day in it, going in and out, putting parts in, changing it, reprogramming stuff, working on a future product. And uh, at the end of the day, it looked like you'd smeared aluminum on the floor. You know, it was just all stained and gray. And that's just from going in and out of the boat. So I just feel like the carpet's still dirty. There's no doubt. Carpet adds weight to a boat. It has water to the boat. And it's just dirtier, just as dirty as that sea deck is or dirty as that reflex is but it just doesn't show it.
0: Huh. Are you, have you done the, uh, social media, uh, Barbasol on the front deck to clean the carpet trick yet? You no. think that actually, where have you not seen that where the guys are putting like three cans of Barbasol on the front deck, then going to the car wash and it, they're not a believer. Yeah, I was
2: talking about the other day, that old center console DynaTrack for sale somewhere and somebody said, oh, it's even got barbersaw on the deck where he'd clean his carpet, you know? he <laughs> I would to just him be
0: him <laughs> worried that my that my like brush hog would smell like fresh aloe or something then after it's been sitting on that carpet after I clean it.
2: Brush hog. We'll go down that road in a minute, too. You got, you've got you asked. We're going to go down that road.
0: Okay, well, we'll go down that road. Let's take our first break of the show. Uh, Rick Pierce from Bass Cat Boats. When we get back, uh, we'll go down that road. I definitely want to uh, get your take. A lot of... A lot of uh, Bass Cats being won out on the West Coast now. I believe there was a Wild West team trail. There was a Co-Angler and a Boater who won one. Uh, Josh Bertrand won one in the U.S. Open. You always kind of give a West Coast update. Very forward, very progressive with Bass Cat reaching out to the West Coast. Uh, Get that talk. Kind of go into the state of the bass boat industry. And then story time with Rick Pierce when we come back. All right. It is BTL on a Monday, November 14th. We'll be back right after this. Your key to
1: better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99 and we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Loran sonar from chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP reveal. Offer ends August 31st.
3: The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush.
1: Hey guys, Gerald Swindle, representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough, and I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket, because when you're fishing, you're holding your arms up. You're bad about getting water that runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got enough pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff from the water membrane brain that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the wintertime, you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you don't just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut we got it from small to 5x most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting strap we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out they ain't gonna let you down
3: the kvd 100 jerk bank 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures.
2: All
0: right. We're back. <laughs> we are back. That STS, is that still? I know uh we were talking last year, you were like, inundated with orders with that thing when it came out, right?
2: Yeah. It's still happening.
0: Is that, I mean, that's probably, that's a major, is that the biggest redesign you've done probably in a boat in the past, what, decade?
2: No, it's not the biggest redesign, but I mean, it's a it's a big redesign. I mean, you know, we start with a new hull, new deck, it's all fresh. Um, the hull was innovative. We started with a Jag on the STS series. And then we we're just going to keep evolving it, you know, as we go through other models. I mean, this isn't going to be the last SDS so, uh We hope to have one to release in the summertime, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things you just keep going and keep evolving. And uh, that one was a big one. I mean, the Puma floor plan was pretty proven. People liked that floor plan. So that worked out very well to bring it into the SDS series and tweak it some. I mean, it's tweaked quite a bit. But I mean, it's all fresh. I mean, there wasn't anything we could start with, so it was a hundred percent wood up fresh deal. Uh,
0: okay. This might be a this might be a dumb question, Rick, but I'm curious about this. All right, so I'm a I'm a guy tournament bass fish, right? Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I don't understand how the whole works. I know how the it feels different, right? Like, I knew when I get get in the links, it feels different than a uh, era, and when I get in the Puma, it feels different than the links and all that. So you understand hulls. Here's yeah. my question to you: Do should should people, if you're looking for a new boat, should you make that decision on the on the top cap for the hull? How do you figure out like what hull is right for you, and why are there different hulls for? Multiple different bass boats. You see where I'm getting at? At that, to me, yeah, it's like they're, something they're that I about. don't think a lot of people understand the importance of a different hull, and I don't. So, kind of explain to me why and how you go about designing the hull of the boat, and how you should pick it based on how you fish.
2: Well, when you change the length, you change fulcrum, you change what balance points and everything okay. happen in the hull. So you know it's just i mean realistically a 200 engine and a 300 engine weigh the same so a boat running a 200 is going to have the same batteries the same equipment and pretty much the same weight so now you build that boat in a twenty, 21, 22, you've got to turn around and look at that so really there's not a tremendous amount of difference from the standard engines down either way whether you're on yamaha suzuki mercury as long as you're in standard mount engines now not talking about burrado a different animal um ams midsections there uh then you even go to the 450 the supercharged. so that's a different animal and of course tomorrow i think there'll be another animal out but uh anyway those are all changing games but uh you know we can't go with av 12 V12. b12 is a little massive (laughs) i mean it's taller than both of us so you basically got to build a boat around the differences in weight so that's one thing from our standpoint um, most companies that we've seen over years and i'm not going to say all but most just take a xyz length boat and they just chop it and make it longer or shorter and add a middle to it and really don't change a lot they kind of just stay consistent um, all of our hulls as a company are totally different so every single hole we build has a tweak that probably the most two common that are closest together are the Sabre and the Pantera too? Those are the two that are really the 18 and 19s. There's not a lot of difference in them. They're pretty much the same. But when you look at a Classic, you look at the um, Bobcat, you look at the Era, and you mentioned the Era, and those are all totally different holes. So it's not like we cut one and shaped it. And um, the bottoms are different in different ways. And the links are different, the depths are different in the holes. Um, and we just do things that we think we need to do to get them to run. Now, as a customer, what that means to you is for our line, you want to pick what you want. So if you're fishing the Great Lakes, you may pick something different. You know, I mean, the Lynx is our longest running surface by far. So it's actually got the longest flat bottom, so so, so to speak, and it comes out longer. But it's not our longest boat. So the transition is different on a Lynx than it is a Jag. It's totally different. So it's just a difference in the way we build them. Um, it's the way we see them, trying to get them to run big water or bigger horsepower or uh, many things. So as a customer, I think for our line, it depends on where you're going to fish at. Uh, your area, you know, are you fishing flat water? Are you fishing a Great Lakes? Are you fishing tidal water? Um, just kind of figuring out what fits your mode, you know. And that goes back to the same with the floor plan.
0: Uh, okay, so back in the day, would your dad, like, straight up like mold a hull and go out in three footers and just let it fly and test it and see and then come back and sand on it and lay another hull or you know like is that how that's designed
2: well dad you know you everybody goes back to dad dad's last product i got out of dad was a 1991 pantera classic deck and that's the last thing i got him to build for us the one thing dad did do that when we built the and I'm going to eventually I'm going to write, I don't know how to word it, but um, I'm going to write a chronology or uh, some type of a, a thank you to Dave Fenton for what he did for us on the Pantera okay. in 1988 and actually 87 year. But I owe Dave Fenton a lot. Personally, I owe Dave Fenton a lot. The company owes Dave Fenton a lot because he he helped me to manage the Pantera two when my dad was tooling Pantera II and I was tooling Sabre. We were side up. I was working in one shop. He was working in the other, and we did it over a, a break. We actually built those boats in just a few weeks, the decks. I mean, it was, bam, get them done. And um, and, and it doesn't take he or I long to tool, so we can tool really quick. And uh, Dave came in, spent two weeks with me, and and basically he'd come in the morning visit with me, and then uh, Dad would come in, as Dad always did it, 10 or one o'clock, whatever time he felt like he needed to be here, work till about dark, go home, you know? And so, uh, Dave came in and helped me to wrangle dad, but dad's big concept. I'll give him credit on what he thought was right. We were building the first Pantera in the, um, 80s, early 80s. And that's probably the last hull. Well, dad did the Felix and the Marga after that. So those are two hulls got done by him. Um, but, um, basically those hulls. and when we were working on that hull, he came up with the concept i want to build it for 175 and it was his idea to build it for 200. and so we stretched it deepened it widened it did what we wanted to do with a, what was a spin off of a molinari hull, and uh turned it out and um, changed quite a bit actually i mean in ways people wouldn't even know and uh, dad wanted to run it for 200 and at the time i i was kind of 175 focused and it was probably the best thing that could have happened because nobody was building 200 rated boats at the time in the 19 you had to go to the 20s and anybody's 20 footer was a sled i don't care which brand you bought it was a sled and i remember when we built this plant dad thought we'd never build anything bigger than 18 foot when we first built this plant and now we're building 22s and and who knows where it'll end you know do you think as far as the
0: professional tournament scene where we're maxed out at 250 though with uh i mean you see some guys run a, a a jag or 22 plus foot boat but i mean do you think 250 is where it stops i mean it seemed like there was a period of innovation where it went from that to the you mentioned the 150s the twos the 225s and 250s or it, is that kind of the top end you think
2: when we went to 250s in in 95 all right so when we did that we That's were having trouble filling our own boats with 150s Um, we were building 72%. We were building over 80% of our product with bigger than 150 when we went, that hasn't happened yet. 250 seems to have a lot of pressure. Um, it seems to hold, um, most of the guys, you know, you've got BFLs. See at the time, BFL was limited to two and a quarter. It was red man. So most people don't realize that back in the old days of Operation Bass, even before when it was Operation Bass and Mike Whitaker, they, Mark, Mike, Charlie, and the guys stopped at 225. So that's kind of where the 225 came into the world at, and that's the most you could run in a, in a Redman event. So as Redman and BFL stopped at 225, that's what drove that the everyday recreational angler to go to 175, 200, two and a quarter. And then that became popular in the mid nineties as Mercury. We worked with Steve at Mercury and he built the 225 EFI and took a carburetor. i never forget, we're down there and then we're looking at that boat. And, and we were down there on another project. We had a couple of boats down there at Lake X and Steve called me into the R and D facility and he said, um, so do you think customers will buy this if we turned it into a 225 EFI? It was a carbureted motor, you know, and nobody was buying a carburetor. And he said, yeah, I think they'll buy it, Steve. He said, well, it's only going to get about two miles a gallon, a mile and a half. I said, you know, at the time, buck a buck a gallon for fuel. And I said, no, they'll buy it. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> and he was just scared to build it because he didn't think the consumer would ever go that way. And, of course, with the horsepower ratings at tournaments, that's what drove that. So the West Coast really drove the move to from 150 to 250, Matt. Okay. it was really the west coast because when bass went west they couldn't get participation out west because they weren't out west and everybody out west had 200s and so what really drove the move and the shift wasn't the fact that bfl and Redman had two and a quarter it was the fact that if you were going to draw out west you had to go to the 200 rated engines so there was a big conversation with scott and the guys at the time about whether and of course ray was pretty much out at that time helen and mm-hmm. uh, dewey and all them about where do we go you know and so they wound up going to 250 and then of course uh operation bass shifted to 250 and and oh, it yeah. became the standard um today we don't see the 300 near the horsepower i think with big boats a good majority of the big boats we build that are 300 two and a Two, a, a 250, above 250, I'll say, um, they're going to recreational anglers. Yeah. And so we sell a lot of 400, $400. Um, uh, we sell several four fifties a year, not a lot of four fifties. I mean, we, you just don't sell a lot of 175 180 dollars bass boats, you know, <laughs> it's not common, but the guys that got them, I mean, I, I had one and they are just absolutely the berries. So if you wanted the ultimate rig, that is the ultimate rig. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen it. It's
0: freakishly cool looking.
2: Well, it's just a wonderful. You just can't believe the ride and the performance and just the way it runs, you know. Yeah. It's just really a slick ride that's capable of knocking off big numbers, but you really don't run it there. It's just you're at 75-80 before you can blink an eye, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, isn't Mark Davis running a Jag with a 250 this year? Yeah, last year, this past year he, year he, he did
2: okay this year. Yeah, okay. well, Paul last both. Paul had two of them.
0: Okay. I crawled around in that thing and it is still uh I feel like you could like rent out half of that <laughs> thing and <laughs> someone could live in it. It's yeah. cool. Uh you mentioned it. Let's talk real quick, uh, or not even real quick, however long. Like I said, we could go here. As soon as you have to go, you just let me know, Rick
2: no i'm um, good um all listen, right uh, i'll go back down one road there let's go back to that horsepower thing i don't think we okay. closed the topic yeah i think that as anglers if if bfl made a shift to 200s so on just that event side then that would be that would open them up to more participation um i think the west coast is accepted to 250 so i don't know that we're going to see the 300s 350 400s come into the bass boat world as Tournament events. Most of the guys at home, you know, take a bass champs. Um, the majority of events allow you to run them. Mm-hmm. Everything out west, you can run what you bring as long as it's within the course Coast Guard rating of the boat. Um, same's true in most of the Southeast events. So you look at Fishers and Men, any of those, you can, you know, Al's group of Fishers and Men, you bring one, you can fish it. Angler's Choice, the AC tournament structure, Rick Burns. Um, USA Bassin, run what you brung, you know, as long as they're within the horsepower range of the boat. So I think those suit the recreational angler quite a bit. So I think a tournament angler, I can see it going to 300, and I don't see that to be a problem, honestly.
0: There you go. Uh, a lot of questions on the SF back rick and every time you're on i know jeffrey's used to ask this question i don't know the ins and outs of it so i'll just ask it and i'll let you roll with it there but i know it has been a crazy uh almost three years now especially since covid 19 you have 19 20 21 and 22 with bass boats with availability with building them with buying new ones selling used ones it's it's been chaos uh and a lot of people are talking at it so Uh, The floor is yours to talk about what what I guess I would consider the current state of the the bass boat industry as of uh, uh, November fourteenth, 2022.
2: We're sold out for 2023. Literally, anybody that gets a boat on order right now, the dealer's going to have to take one off of their order system to put you on it, and so technically we're – we really need like 30 boats to close, 20 boats to close 23. If you look at the numbers, we're really oversold, but there's some stock units that could rotate out. Our inventory is about, in the field, is about uh, 30% of what it needs to be. So we're not doing really, I mean, we can't take care of the product in the field because we can't catch up. I looked at, uh, we get, every Monday I get a report, this morning's orders were uh, very strong this is what's been ordered in the last seven days um so they were very strong and that's uh, sold unit retail so that means somebody's gotta as a dealer you have to take one off that you're expecting and put this one on and to get mad a new boat you know so we've got a big challenge as a company um there's still a challenge of screens and chips there's still a component challenge with supply chain it's improved tremendously but we dumped uh six and a half 6.4 trillion into the market of USA funds and the feds pulled back about a trillion and a half. And then they've got, um, so they pulled back most of the last stimulus. And so it's really still, there's a lot of money in the market. The people who have money, the haves have, and the have nots have not. And there's no way you cannot expect inflation to go up when you've got people paying McDonald's workers, 15, $20 an hour. Uh, when the guy serving you a cup of coffee is getting 15 20 bucks an hour just to try to get him in a thousand dollar signing bonus um it's kind of hard to not see inflation so we we passed the eighty thousand dollar mark and i knew we were in the 80s but we passed to a hundred thousand on the top end bass boat overnight uh, i didn't think uh, we would pass that fast i always felt like we'd be there you and i've had a conversation before that after 25 grand a boat's a boat, and people buy what they want to buy. But they went to a hundred faster than I ever thought, Matt. So we're still backed up. We still have challenges. Um, we still have motor shortages. Mercury is not online with the second line yet, so they've got a new production line coming on. Uh, so certainly that's a challenge. Yamaha still doesn't have inventory. Suzuki can only build so much product, and the demand is higher than the supply
0: i mean that's a it's a double-edged sword then
2: yeah there's just no way to catch up on it
0: so how does it eventually catch up
2: well hopefully mercury gets that product line up this month (laughs) 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 they get to build more motors you know but even then (laughs) it's challenging because we get uh, propellers that aren't exactly right because a new guy built them or they're running them through i mean if you increase production seventeen percent, you just built more product because you didn't build a new line to do it. So um, it, you wind up just pushing harder, and so we wind up with the challenges of that.
0: I wish I knew a good follow up question, but business wise, like I said, I'm missing the big man this morning, Rick. As far as that's concerned, I, I guess it seems you know I, I talk with a lot of my buddies, and and a lot of them are uh you know, trying to sell their boats, you know, order new ones. And it seemed like a couple years ago, like I had a I had my old uh ZX one ninety that had been in store. My plan was to do what Rojas did with his and be like, hey, I'm keeping my first boat. But then Bassmaster opens, not cashing checks. I'm like, hey, I'm paying to keep this thing here. So I put it up a couple years. Dude, it was like it was like it was made out of pure gold brick. And then ironically, I sell it two days later, some dude tries to resell it for twice what he bought it for me from. And I'm like, this used boat market is nuts. Like I had buddies going, isn't this your boat? Like your old ZX, you know, from Beck. And I'm like, yeah. But now also then I've got a couple buddies with boats that are for sale now. And they're like, holy cow, like the used boat market went from crazy, crazy, crazy. And now it seems like there's a bunch of used boats for sale that are tough. Like that's a totally different market right now that's totally in flux as well.
2: Yeah. Now the used boat market, and I think our competition is still, we know some of our competition is catching up because there's inventory in the field, and a couple of them didn't have any demand. So when they started in their business structures, they didn't have demand. So if you didn't have demand, then you can automatically put inventory on fields, but we can't, we're not in that position. We have a lot of demand, a lot of consumer demand, and uh, it's tough, but the used boat market You know, it's our first one, one, not the first time, but one of the few times, very, very few times I've seen NADA raise Blue Book. So they actually came in and raised the value of your boat.
0: That's good news.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So basically they adjusted Blue Book to today's market. And so that's what's happened to used boats. They were going at much higher clip than um, they were. And so now it's kind of common on the used boat side. It is a little softer, no doubt. You can take a few days, sell one now, you know, before you put it on the market, you better be ready to get your stuff out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You mentioned it. I want to make sure we don't skip over this. You mentioned the West coast. That was a cool little deal about the, the motor size kind of driving, uh, or the, the West coast driving the increase in motor size, uh, very, uh, very active there, uh, a, with a uh, cat to the winner of the U.S. Open. Josh Bertrand just had two this past week, and I believe that was a Wild West championship out there. Talk about uh, kind of your uh, your thoughts on the West Coast, and I feel like there, that there's a couple really cool things that are going on out there um, that a lot of the country is taking kind of more notice of because of how hard they're pushing out there and a core group of anglers that are really kind of dedicated to that west coast tournament scene and making it work
2: yeah we've got of course we've started apex on the west coast and jeremy we we actually had first call out there on a couple of things and um one one of our major competitors vacated the west coast and we decided to pick up a couple of events out there and then a third event came to us that we really weren't planning on and we we support um randy krangel's best bass tournaments out there bbt's and we support uh ABA, uh, American Bass Association, which is one of the older organizations in the country. They started in '82 or '83, so it's 40 years old. And Craig, and we support them. And that came to us just kind of out of chance, but it's a really good grassroots organization. Uh, we started our West Coast swing with the U.S. Open and Billy Egan and and Brad, and at the time, uh, all of Lori's group out there at One Bass one western outdoor news and of course u.s open is the west coast event you know it's the noted west coast event y'all used to cover it i think you're still going to cover it once we get through this covid thing and um mark would go out there and it's really the event out west and then we picked up wwbt and when we picked it up with jeremy and randy in um 2019 we had conversations in 18 and we went ahead and did it in 19 and started in 20 so it's fresh with us. We've got a couple of years behind us now. And one of the things we put in our contract was Apex tour for Jeremy, starting a world-class type West coast event, because these guys just fished at Gunnersville, and Mark and Ty and all the guys, um, you know, um, all the guys load up down South California and they got to drive all the way to Gunnersville to fish the Toyota championship. I'm like, golly, so our goal is to give them a West Coast Championship through the Western Bass Shootout, and that event will happen this year. We're still in, having conversations with the Expo Center. Uh, those, like I told them at the One Bass U.S. Open, if we have to hold this thing in a rodeo arena, we're going to hold it. So the West, we're going to get the Western Bass Shootout off the ground. That's what we've got to do to give those guys an option out west of something to fish. When we started that, our initial goal map was to grow fishing on the West coast, freshwater fishing. And at the time, any time in my lifetime, it's been about seven and a half percent of the market, and you know, the number. So right now it's up a few digits. We're feeling really good. We're under 10, but we're up. And, uh, the last five years we've seen growth out there that we've never seen in my lifetime, as far as percentage of the market. And our goal, we feel like is to have about 14% of the U S market out West.
0: Very nice uh story time i mentioned I mention a brush hog or something that brought up something that you wanted to get into
2: yeah you know that, that was eventually that's an old ed chamber story Ned ed and i were friends and ed would provide me baits back when i fished when i was your age or younger and so i called ed one day and i needed some lizards and some grubs and he said rick i'm gonna throw this in the box he said i got this mold by accident said boy it didn't pay me so I just kept the mold I designed it for him and he said he was going to build this and I was uh, he was going to sell this and I was going to build it and I didn't get paid so I, I he threw in about half a dozen sprues I mean you get all the baits and there are 25 baits on a sprue you know or 20 baits on a sprue
0: mm-hmm.
2: and all the baits are connected when <laughs> mold them and he just threw them in the box, yeah. <laughs> and uh and it was the original brush hog and I took that thing to the top 100 at St. John's and, and I was fishing top 100 then and I took it to St. John's and I was smacking them on it. Believe it or not. We caught them during spawn. The I was fishing around. Kevin was on one side of me, about 150 yards away. I was starting over by the dam and I was fishing it in the back of um, Rodman pool. Of course, most of us were in Rodman that year. Chet Dowd, it was probably 50 yards away from me. Chester's a great guy. Um, and uh, I was whacking them on the bait and uh, didn't work out for me. But when we came through the lock, you know, everybody hid their baits so and there wasn't any hiding that bait. I'm, I wasn't worried about it. Nobody else had one. And Mickey Bruce looked over and saw it and said, What is that? And Tom Mann Jr. was in there and told, Where'd you get that at? Oh, Ed sent it to me. Well, I'm going to have to call him. I've never seen that. And pretty soon everybody had a brush hog. <laughs> So that would have been what, like very, nine, 90, 91? I'm looking, 91? 91. 91. St. So John. The,
0: golly. So the brush hog has been around for 91, two thousand. Actually, it wasn't a brush hog. Years. The
2: he hadn't named it yet. He had just pulled the mold and he, was, he thought, I think I'm going to call it Roadkill.
0: That's what he was going to call it originally.
2: Yeah. The bait. And then eventually he built Roadkill. And he had another bay he built called a Roadkill. I've never and heard of brought that. Brought the brush hog out after the roadkill.
0: I've never heard of that. Oh, it's like a. Uh, it's hold another on.
2: bait. Another another crawfish. Witch. Looks
0: more crawfishy.
2: Mm-hmm. But he, but Ed said, I think I'm gonna call it Roadkill.
0: <laughs> huh. Now Roadkill's. I think uh, Reaction Innovations has a color called Roadkill now.
2: They may, yeah.
0: Huh. Uh, I went. I kind of went off the rails. I had Jody White from MLF on, and, and before the show, I started doing crunching numbers, and I got really jacked up because between uh, Larry Nixon, who's using a Legends exemption to go back to the Bassmaster Elite Series this year, and Rick Klun, ninety-five years of professional tournament experience between the two. Rick, uh, yeah. you, do you awesome. have any any uh any Larry Nixon stories?
2: Well, that's a day, we came out of the lock that morning at St. John's, and that was a year that Larry and Tommy were running nitros with Evinroods, and so that was a year Bass Pro had an Evinroods agreement, and they had built those hopped up Evinroods, and Larry had one that would just flat fly, and I had got tired of getting protested, because they protested me um, many times about my engine, claiming it was a 200. Really? Oh yeah, I've, I've had my cowling pulled more than once, <laughs> many more than once. So bad that Roy Ridgele wouldn't wouldn't even open the cowling on them. Say no, tell him tell him something. I, he he was pretty vague. I mean, pretty clear about what he'd say, but um, but Roy knew it was a 150. So I got tired of messing with him. That year we went to the top 100s. I think that might have been our first event at St. John's, and. uh, we started down there. Dad flew down. Roy, of course, lived there, right at Palatka. That was home to him. And so, uh, Dad came down. He was going to play golf with Roy. I was fishing top 100s. We took off that morning out of the out of the launch, and I was back in the back of the pack. And there were there were 56 boats in the lock that morning, going into Rodman. And so when we took out a Rodman, it was quite a melee going out. And we had uh, Walt Reynolds and Robbie Bickley and Tommy Biffle and me, four of us on the right side of the canal going up. And I couldn't get by. Robbie couldn't get by Walt. Biffle couldn't get by Robbie. And I couldn't get by Biffle. Of course, we are just kind of stair step yeah. back in the field off the right side of Walt. So I told my partner I had a music major out of Boston with me. We uh, he was not really a tournament guy. I said, Hang on, we're gonna cut the lily pads. So I cut the lily pads to the right. And I had got tired of them protesting me. So I built a little 17-foot caracal. And uh, Dan Shad was at Mercury at the time, and I said, Dan, the first 150 that comes off the line at 165 horsepower, I'd like to have it. And I got a 150 engine that had the dyno sheeting on the side of the box. And they take one of those big sharpie markers with a wide blade on it. And they had wrote hold for Rick Pierce on the box when I got it. So it was a pretty cool deal. So Mercury actually held that engine for me and that was truly a 165, you know, which is 10% as most you could make it. And so um, at the time I was going in out of Mercury quite a bit with R and D and things we were Mm -hmm. doing. And uh, Dan did that for me and um, the guys held it for me and I got that and I built my boat, hand built where it would run and, uh, we went out of that lock and pretty soon I got by, I shut the pad field and got by Tommy and Robbie and they were side up cause they were working by Walt and Walt was never in a hurry.
0: <laughs> he was a cruiser.
2: He was a cruiser, right? So there were a whole bunch of us and we got by the rest of the pack and I got by Tommy and then I got by, I got by, um, beside tommy and tommy couldn't believe i was off to his right side And he was probably 50 yards in front of the field
0: oh he probably did not like that i feel like tommy does not enjoy getting past
2: I, tommy's a good friend i've known tommy since the mid 70s or early 70s actually he 374 when he started fishing for us yeah. um, tommy's a good guy and then i got by tommy and then larry was about 100 yards or better out past tommy he was way out in front just cruising And I came by Larry like he was tied to a tree. (laughs) And there's a cut as you go into the Rodman pool. And there's a cut where there's a boat ramp to the left. And I took that cut behind the island. And when Larry Nixon came out, there was a fog hanging just off the water, you know. And there wasn't Mm -hmm. a ripple. And uh, I took that cut and turned to the left and... I went to the dam when Larry came out of the canal. I was standing on my front deck. That's how much I was in front of him. I was standing on my front deck at the dam at Rodman. <laughs> and I saw him come out, and then um, he came about two hours later. He was fishing a point across from me. And I said something to Larry, and he was fishing a worm the way Larry do, did at the time. I don't know if he still does, but it was, you know, it was like you're cranking a worm almost. And he's fast. And so, larry said uh good running boat rick i had to be getting fish he said I, he said i had one or two i don't remember and i hadn't had any yet i'd lost a good one and he had a nice running boat rick and when he got in uh, dad came up to me and uh, that afternoon chester told him i was fishing too fast and i was all around fishing, didn't catch him and kevin had a limit chester had a limit and i was fishing too fast i was jacked up young first first to break out of the box on the top 100s but uh a, a lot of adrenaline in your throat you know how it is yeah but uh larry came uh, uh, dad came up to me and said um so i heard you fishing too fast I said yeah chester told me said "You was all over them just didn't catch them I said no i had a nice little bunch but not much and so then um he said i heard the boat run pretty good too i said where'd you hear that at <laughs> He said, well, Larry came up to me and said, uh, he didn't know where you went, but when he came out of the canal, he couldn't even see a wake.
0: They're <laughs> gone.
2: I was gone. That was my Larry Nixon story. Uh, but I, I was always, I always wanted to draw out Larry. I think Larry's probably one of the three most intuitive anglers in the sport. And that would be, yeah, I really do. Uh, I think he, Rick Klein and Dave Gleeby.
0: Really? I had Rick. I was going to try to write him down before you said it, but what put, what makes you put uh, Glebe in that list?
2: He was intuitive in his young age, very intuitive. He'd make a decision to run to one end of the lake, so he would be fishing at the dam and run up the river. And out west, what people don't realize is I don't know how many products Dave Gleby won out west. And actually, one of the people that looks up to Dave Glebe in that regard was Rick Kwan. And Rick always said Dave Glebe is one of the most intuitive anglers and I do also. And so Dave's a good guy I'm working at a bass pro shop in Manteca right now. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, pushing his age a little bit, but always been one of the most intuitive anglers. And I think Larry and Larry and Rick and, and Dave Glebe, are probably three most intuitive anglers I ever knew in the sport. And that includes today. That includes Kevin. Now I'm going to tell you this, Matt, and I told Don Barone this and he didn't know it, but, I actually have a spreadsheet I kept years ago on Rick Kwan and Kevin Van Dam side up. And I mean, Rick started at an older age and Kevin started at 18, but I would keep their records. And I actually have a spreadsheet that I quit keeping because basically Kevin outpaced Rick, but, um, I mean, Kevin's no doubt the best angler ever in the sport, but Rick Kwan was at a time period thought people thought Kevin was and and rick was the best angler in the sport but i mean when you look at the records and what they've done just strictly based on records uh, rick was really really one of the best and and still is of course yeah. but kevin definitely outpaced him on his actual finishes so it'd been nice if they'd have both kind of stayed in bass and see where it finished out but they didn't so now they're spun off and
0: I'm very intrigued to see how history will look back on the past 5 years especially now they're going back to five fish um it's it's just going to be hard to put uh comparisons and we like to compare like I mean I do a show I talk about comparisons and you talk about statistics and it it'll be interesting to see uh, this time period and moving forward for the next 5 years of how we Uh, how we gauge it and isn't it is if it's important to gauge or not I mean dude Kevin's what like early 50s right now he still has another like 22 23 years to catch up to what Rick's done every single year like I average it out for Larry Nixon Larry Nixon has averaged 10.4 tournaments a year since like 1974 like that's a tournament a month that's like seven days that's up
2: north, down south. That's all over the country. It's freaking amazing. Practice, But pre-practice, put pre-practice it, in the fact that Larry guided for a living many years out uh, of Toledo. You put down the time they spent in practice at events. And all of a sudden, you know, gosh, I look at it. And you take a lake like Sam Rayburn. You know, Matt, I've spent more than a half a year on Sam Rayburn alone myself. <laughs> I mean, how much do you think you know about Sam Rayburn? The average local guy doesn't spend that kind of time on there, even though he thinks he does, you know? Yeah, it's and, and so fascinating. If you look at the way that, that, how many times do you think Kevin Van Dam's been on Gunnersville? How many times do you think Larry Nixon's been on Gunnersville? How much do you think they know about that lake? I mean, really, you take that, there's a tremendous amount of tribal knowledge. Now, there's going to be some stuff they look back in history, and how do we look at what's happened with Live Scope? And it's going to change, but the guy still has to find out where the fish are. Yeah. Now, it's a lot easier and a lot different than it used to be. But these guys didn't have that. They had a flasher.
0: And there was some guy with a paper graph and window weights that was bitching about a flasher. Yeah. (laughs) right. Here's something that that I – like I said, so I I started this – I interned for Mark in 2007, so like by no means have I been in this thing for a long time. But it has occurred to me over the last couple of years, regardless of what happens the rest of my life, like this is a career for me, right? Like I've made my living out of this as a, a stage, and I would want to. I'm like, dude, I plan on doing BTL for the next 30 or 40 years. But one of the cool things that I get the advantage to do is I get to interview people who have made it their career, have longevity in it, and it still is a passion to them and they haven't lost the enthusiasm and the excitement. And I don't think there's many people in life that get to be around people who have made their life works their passion and they're still just as passionate about it. Like Larry Nixon, Rick Klun, you a hundred percent fall into that category. I mean, it's it's would imagine there's a lot of people who have done it, and I mean they're ready to do it and be done and retire, go golf and play bridge or do whatever it is, but to be around people who are innovators at at the start of this thing and still have just as much passion for it 30, 40, 50 years later, I think is a gift that not many people uh, get to experience. And it's really cool to get to interact, talk on the phone, be a part of that. Uh, like I said, I mentioned I talked with Bernie about uh, the the uh, Ray Scott Celebration of Life. You were the one who called me uh, after that to encourage me to watch it as soon as it came out. But uh, from my standpoint, that's a real cool aspect of my job. And what I get to do on a daily is to, to talk to guys like you. Uh, who still seemed to be just as passionate as you were when you came into this game?
2: Yeah. Ray, Ray was... Um, my dad and Ray were oil and water, you know, because dad was responsible back years ago with Roger Moore and another group, and that actually happened on the St. John's River with instituting what became Uzoffs. And the incident that caused that happened on the St. John's River, and Basil could tell you that story, there's a few more that could tell you that story. Tommy probably tell you that story, but basically, um, uh, Roger Moore was involved in an instance with my dad, and uh, that was in 1973 that caused the ooze offs. 74 on St. Johns River in a Bass event because they used to take off with a flare, raid get outside with a couple of press guys in the boat, and they'd shoot the flare off and. Everybody be running behind them, and there they go, you know. Well, at this particular incident, there was a, and I'm going to tell a story, and Ray's not here. Um, so there was this particular incident. They had a corner going into the St. Johns River. We all know the corner, going to the right, and Ray's out front, shoots a flare off. Everybody takes off, and uh, a particular sport and my dad were cornered up with Roger, and Dad washed him off pad and went to the inside and washed him off pad. And at that time, that boat spun out. Well, in the middle of all that was Ray Scott, and I guess he caught the rooster tails. And so that's when he instituted, he got in that afternoon when dad got in, Ray told him, it, oh, he was mad. He said there'll be no rooster tails within two miles of this Marina. And apparently they got in the middle of that water spout and Ray and the press boat got wet. And so that was that started what became Ooze Offs. And we went to Beaver and Tommy Martin won that event at Beaver, so it would have been 74. And so Tommy won that event. And uh, Lanny Verner was on our team at the time. And we had a local artist, dad had a local artist paint a charcoal drawing on a canvas. And his name was Jan Gosnell. Jan is a noted ar- artist in Arkansas now, noted nationally, charcoal drawing by Jan. He did newspaper art at the time. A lot of cartoons, Um, great guy. But anyway, Jan Gosnell did this charcoal drawing for dad. And it was, um, and I'm gonna tell the story. It was on a canvas. It'll never be told again, probably. And I've looked for this and uh, Jimmy Clance can't find the piece because Ray kept everything. I'm sure he threw this one away. Um, And it was big. I mean, this thing was probably three foot across, 24 inch tall. And they had taken a bed sheet and they had at the awards banquet, the night after the event, um, Ray had called Lanny up to get this award. And Lanny came up carrying this bed sheet with a print under it and with a charcoal drawing under it on white canvas. And, uh, Lanny said, well, Mr. Scott, before we get our, I get my award, the Bass cat fishing team has got a little award for you. And of course he's in front of everybody and Ray hasn't looked at this canvas. I'm there, I'm a kid, you know, 74. I'm a teenager. And uh, I got to do a lot of things as a teenager. It was cool to be a part of the sport. But um, they unveil this thing and everybody in the crowd sees it. And it's Ray Scott walking on water with one leg up in the air like he's running and holding a flare gun up with water dripping off of his hat. And, and it's cowboy hat. And it's um, a fast cap and a Hydra spook. And it's got like in Batman terms, boom, you know, a curse <laughs> or something and the lightning's coming down and and uh, they're off pad and the Rooster Tail's getting Ray Scott. And it's a Hydra spook and a, and a fast cat. And, um, and on race Scott, it says pay Scott right here. Yeah. And he doesn't see it. Of course, he's gotta go along with it. And the whole crowd in there in the, in the convention center uh, I mean, in the little convention center banquet hall is just laughing up the storm and I'll never forget the look on his face when he looked at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, how would be awesome to have that somehow.
2: I've asked Jimmy to find it. I'd love to have it. Um, I would buy it back if Jimmy ever found it, you know, but I'm sure yeah. knowing Ray, I'm sure that one is not archived. He archived everything, but knowing that one, I probably, that one probably isn't <laughs> with us anymore. <laughs> But Jan's, Jan lives in Northwest Arkansas, I think, still, and he was the artist that did it, and that was really a cool deal. Of course, Tommy won that getting in Cedar Creek on a crankbait. Mm-hmm. Do you remember
0: who won and what they won in a story from every single one of the derbies you fished? Because, I mean, you fished really seriously up until, what, 2018? Like five years
2: ago? Well, I didn't fish seriously till about '95. I kind of quit as the kids got together and, Ninety four, I kind of backed out and did one once in a while. I think I fished ninety nine or hundred ninety eight Bassmaster events. Never met won any money. Of course, they didn't pay a lot of money back then. But I think I hey, won. They still don't. <laughs> they still don't. Huh? <laughs> they well, still I don't. A lot more. <laughs> I didn't pay then, but anyway. But I think I won. I've got a row of trophies here, a row of plaques. I'm really proud of. Um, they're hanging on the wall. Then you know you got a plaque all the way down years ago. Um had about two chances to win. Um Okeechobee. Uh I drew a gentleman that I won't submit his name, but he wouldn't let me go to my fish first day. And I finished nineteenth at that, having one pound the first day at Okeechobee. And uh Was it Roland? Roland won that one. Oh, you didn't draw Roland? No, I drew oh, another okay. gentleman. Okay. Yeah, Roland won that one on fish that Scott had found in the canal. Yeah, I remember. That'd have been a young
0: Scott, huh? That'd have been a young Scott Martin then.
2: That would have been a young Scott Martin. And the the chance I had a couple of chances. I had a chance at Texoma. I had a guy really help me at Texoma. Second day, I drew another gentleman that's noted in the sport and everybody know him. That's retired now. And uh, both of these people I drew at this time, you know, they were hard guys. They were going to on fish and and he realized the second day when i drew the second day i was in second place the second that first day at texoma george cochran won that one in back of little glasses um but uh i had a chance to win that one and i drew a gentleman the second day and the last day i drew alan head and i had oh, fallen God. from like second to to sixth i drew alan head the last day i should have I should have been leading it the second day. I jerked a four pounder over the trolling motor, five pounder and the guy was looking over my shoulder and when when I hit him pulling it in and it hit the trolling motor and fell in the water. And I mean, when I pulled back, he was looking over my shoulder and I'll never forget that. Those are the ones you never forget, you know? And then the last day I was so jacked up and Alan knows this, I was on the fish to win. Um, I just didn't put it together. So those are my two chances to win in the BASS. You never forget them. Yeah. Uh, the best finish I had was South Carolina at Santee. And um, um, Kevin Worth and I had worked it out where he was gonna fish the ditches. And I had fit on that ditch that Kevin was in, but my fish were better. And I was gonna fish canal. What I didn't count on was the kind of company I was gonna have in that canal. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was fishing that stick bait in that canal faster than you can imagine. And there's video of it. Of course, you know Lynn Dollars got all those videos on yeah. Bassmaster. But um, Gerald, when he pulled in to watch me, Crawford, I looked over and Gerald's mouth open, and he's holding a camera in his lap. And I said, "Gerald, you okay?" He said, "Are you fishing that bait that fast all day?" I said, "All day long, Gerald." And I was fishing it tremendously fast in that current. Tremendously uh, uh, fast. Jerk bait.
0: A uh, jerk bait. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, tremendously fast. And of course, I was inside of everybody because fishing the canal. It's just that nobody else is going to fish that bait that fast. And so, and I fished it all day that way. I drew uh, Tim Wilson from Indiana. I drew um, Oh Mike from uh, lives in Bent, Kentucky. Now that used to fish. Now I can't remember who my third draw was that year. That was the Invitational's, and uh, and um, about. The last day I had a big fish hole. I'd caught a four pounder on it, I think. And I had a big fish hole and I watched a friend of mine pull over on that big fish hole. And I just melted because I hadn't fished it. And he saw me and he, it was away from me. And nobody would have known it was one of my spots, you know, mm-hmm. but I watched him stop over there and catch one seven and a half on that big fish hole. And just <laughs> melt. You know? No, if you'd have got there, you'd have caught that. So
0: you do remember every fish for all 93 tournaments.
2: Remember the
0: one That's that cost stuff. me the Maggie Bucks? I remember most of them. <laughs> all right. Uh, Rick, I got to let you get back to taking care of business, but I did want to end with, I do have a couple things that I wanted to bring up that over the last couple years, I've heard either other Bass Cat guys or people say, I just want to make sure because of all the little things that you add to, to, to all of the boats. So I, w- I got three, three things that I've noticed and I've actually told some of my co-anglers this when they pointed out and I don't know if it's true or not. So, You can either verify or debunk the theory of it. Uh, So the first one is that uh, you're famous for your cup holders, and the first one is regardless of anywhere you are in a Bass Cat, you want to be able to have your tumbler in reach regardless of where you are, and that is why there's anywhere from 9 to 13 cup holders in every model of Bass Cat. Is that strictly the reason for that?
2: Uh, Number one decision on a woman on a new car cup holders cup holders okay so Uh, that's when i pulled out of the auto industry that's the biggest factor when a woman looks at an suv or car is is the cup holders
0: okay well for that so the next one is uh the triangular shaped livewell lids that uh You don't want a bass to jump out of the live well with that triangular-shaped live well Wood you're able to open it up. You're able to box that in. So there's no way that a fish can jump over the side out of the live well while you're boxing your fish.
2: That's a bigger conversation. There's a lot to that. It's ammonia content because we restrict all the ammonia to the bottom. Ammonia is what needs to be recirculated and taken out of the water so your fish live. So you can keep your oxygen above the four parts per million in your live well, keep your pH good so there's a lot to that it also gives us a 20 some inch long side so the fish has a length to get a big fish in if you'll notice a big fish doesn't squeeze in there and they are really really big we actually took two live wells we have right here the guys took them out of storage the other day I said clean them up we'll need them again and they they go to the classic and go to shows with us so you can actually see how big that live well is because when you look at that live well you realize and a lot of guys advertise 50-gallon live wells, you've heard that your whole life, Matt. There are no 50-gallon live wells. <laughs> uh, they're smaller than people realize. And if, if you think they're 50-gallon, does it, when you picture a 55-gallon drum sitting on your back deck. It's huge. Do you really think your live wells are 50-55 gallons, you know?
0: No, that's massive. Yeah, no, that's crazy.
2: Do you I never even you thought of it like that. a 55-gallon drum on your back deck, that's picturing what you think's under your deck. And there's no way your live wheels are as big as you think they are and one of the most popular boats in the market the live wheels are 12 and a half 13 and a half gallons per side and so okay. you know if you actually measure the content of the water they're not as big and you know you go back to certain events and um they get about two pounds a gallon in fish content so you, if you displace fish you're losing the water too so the depth of the water the turn of the ammonia the oxygen content and we do check that. We worked with the Arkansas Game of Fish years and years and years and years ago. Uh, you can get an oxygen meter today for 500 to 1,000 bucks. It does a good job, but you couldn't years ago. So mm-hmm. we've actually tested that. It actually had to do with the reason we use eighth inch holes on our spray bar years ago. We've opened that up to three sixteenths now. And the real reason we opened it up to three sixteenths when we were all kids, we didn't fish a shad spawn. Most people didn't even know what a shad spawn was unless you were on the water a lot. So it really wasn't common, but the shad spawn really changed us to move the spray bar holes to three sixteenths of an inch because the shad scales would stop up the.
0: I just figured that out. I was like, where is he going with this?
2: So the shad scales would stop it up. And if you look, that's why you've got a screen in the back of your live wheels now. So now we're the only ones who got a screen on all of our live whale intakes.
0: Okay. So
2: there's yeah, a that's, lot a, of yeah that's way wheels.
0: more complex than just fish jumping out.
2: <laughs> we take that to a science. It's a big thing. And you know, um, one of the studies done out of Texas will tell you that our live whales hold fish better than most any. And there's been several studies done. Everybody wants to take credit for what they're doing with mm-hmm. live whales. We've done that for decades and there's a lot to it.
0: I like it. All right. The next one is uh there's a couple different types of latches on a lot of the bass cats and and, and the latches that that go to compartments that are meant to keep things cold or temper temperature regulated, such as the uh, uh, cooler or the live well lids. Are latches that do not have any metal that goes into the compartment, and that is to keep the heat from the metal on the top transferring down into the compartment. Is there any truth to that,
2: Rick? Absolutely, hundred percent. Nice. Uh, we save seven degrees in live well temperature. Really. Yeah. With the
0: latch instead of the latch that goes down into with the metal part in the
2: bottom. The The Southco part, now we've done a lot of latch work. You know, we've got the Marine Towns that we worked with. um, We worked with, um, oh gosh, Oren was the guy's name at Marine Town. And Oren, we worked with him on redesign. And he built the original Southco latch, Oren did. Oren's gone. He's not with us anymore. Um, But we worked with Oren on the original latch. Southco, he built the Southco latch. And then he went over to Marine Town after the South Coast and started Marine Town, and we worked with Thorn on the Marine Town latch. Uh, we actually had to buy five thousand or so of those latches to get them built on that draw latch that you're talking about, and that two spring stainless draw latch is a Sierra Pacific latch that we had to commit to five thousand of oh, to wow. get it built. And then you know you use a couple of boats, so it's not a major buy, you know. But now they sell them in their catalog on the market. You can buy them all day long. Uh, it's two spring, stainless steel, really high tensile. You've used them. You know how hard they are to pull. Mm-hmm. They will not pop open. Um, and it's a really nice latch, but real temperature, the temperature is the reason. Then we went one step further with that and moved it to consistency so that all of the cockpit latches basically are that style. So maybe a lid on a caracal is that way or something like that. And of course, this year we've created the lift latches. Last year in 2021, we worked on that lift latch assembly system. We buy that now. Those parts come from now six different vendors to build that system. And so we're buying those. Those are, and it's still a working process. I've got a part on my desk that we're working on right now. But I mean, we've it's actually just reinforcing a rod and it's stiffened. So I've got a rod stiffener. I've got the rod right here that mm-hmm. actuates them. And so we got a rod stiffener that we're working on to stiffen that assembly so that we can keep that tension on those rods right. But that lift latch is really cool. So we're doing a lot of latch work. Um, I think it's important. Uh, the new lift latch keeps all the action outside of the uh, boxes. So we reduce water leakage. And it's really hard on a boat because there's just not, it's not like your car door, you know, it's not a press molded two part assembly that's rigid. So boats are a real challenge to keep water out of anything. That's
0: all I got, Rick. You got anything else?
2: Uh, man, I've made myself some notes.
0: Well, okay. Yeah, we could go another. Like I said, I'll keep you as long as you want. I don't want to keep you. I'll
2: yeah, block this time out. Um, all right.
0: Let's have at it then.
2: Yeah. Marty Stone
0: story. Okay. Yeah. You want you listen to, to that Marty BTL.
2: Marty Stone is leading angler of the year going into Table Rock, right? Mass Matter master top one fifties, top one hundreds, whatever they are. Yeah. Dave Wallach's got the sponsorship boats. He's made the cut. He's up at Eagle Rock area fishing. What matter. lake are we on? On Table Rock. Last okay, on of Table year. Rock. Last event of the year. Aaron, Aaron Martin catches what, a nine one at Table Rock and wins Angler of the Year. I know he caught a big one.
0: Was that his first Angler of the Year?
2: The first angler of the year. Yeah. Marty Stone was leading angler of the year. Dave Wallach is fishing the Bassmaster supplied Marshall boats. Yeah. They had to, they brought boats to each event and those guys were running them. Dave Wallach had three boats that day. What? Motor Trope three, and he's all the way up to Eagle Rock. So here's the rest of the story, the parts you don't get to hear, right? I'm sorry, Trip, for telling this story. Trip, don't shoot me. <laughs> He's, he's retired. He's out there fishing. He won't I think a lot of the bass, and you know that. Yep. I think bass is the deal. MLF's the deal also, but I like bass. Uh, we're original sponsor, MLF, but this goes down the bass road, so guys don't get mad at me. <laughs> Dave Wallach, they have to take him two boats that day. The trolling motor doesn't work on either one. So he's up there with trolling motor troubles when he drops it in the water. So ba- basically, Dave Wallach is handicapped at Eagle Rock, he barely is 11th guy, I think, that day to miss the cut, miss the final cut. Aaron Martins then makes the cut, which gives him the last day to catch a 9-1 on Table Rock. So if Dave Wallach has a boat that's functional all day, does Aaron Martins make the cut? Aaron- no, because probably Dave Wallach does. And Aaron Martins has no chance to catch a 9-1 in Marty Stone's anger of the year.
0: Oh, and that changes all sorts of stuff then.
2: That's right. A lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of things happen in Bass Station. People don't hear on the outside. I'll tell you. I remember one day, I, I one of our guys, on um, was fishing, and I called him before he made the cut, and it was Robert Lee. And he made the cut, and I called Robert. I said, Robert, before you, tonight, make sure your trolling motor and depth finders work. And he did make sure they worked, and they didn't. So the next bet night he got to fix his product so he could be ready to go the next day these marshall boats were not yeah, the best
0: I remember so that was back at the very beginning where they had the uh where they had the uh dirty dozen and they would tow the boats to it and once you made the final day you would have to fish out of that they had you know especially at the beginning the Purelator, Sitco, all the different boats, but they That's had the same boat. electronics. They were yeah, all that was wrapped.
2: Robert's first wrap scenario. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here's the deal: you could run. It, it was pretty much uh, Lawrence or Hummingbird back then. So if you ran a Lawrence and the boat you got in had a Hummingbird, or vice versa, then you would have guys. I remember. Yeah, I remember this from the first year of the Elite series that I covered because they were still doing it in 2007. That would be in the morning furiously trying to put waypoints from their graph into the new graph. And then the mapping was different on them. They'd have different trolling motors. The boats would definitely have issues. So you would have these guys that sponsored it. And then all of a sudden they were thrown, I mean, And it was like that night of the tournament after they made the cut and then they take off the next morning. And that was one of the big, that was one of the big deals that like the anglers really, really pushed for was to be able to fish that final day out of their boat also. Because I mean also then for like a boat manufacturer like you... Now you've got guys that are Basscat guys fishing out of a Triton on the final day with the jerseys and stuff. It just it made no sense to anybody. I don't yeah, think I understand I, I why they on did the it. guys
2: fishing their own product, even if we sponsored events, you know. And I mean, it's like looking out west. We're about growing the west. We're not about growing Basscat. If we grow the west, we'll grow Basscat. Yeah. And we need to have more open atmosphere like that. So when you look at this, the the lockout was not a good thing when you locked them into the sponsor product and. Like I said, I called Robert and I did the same thing. I think Tucker made a cut that year and I called Tucker and I said, guys, make sure they work mm-hmm. in the morning, but tonight, not in the morning. And so it was um that was really there was a lot of things that I think they could have done. But you talk about that and we talk about MLF changing formats or or the new team events or anything. There's always going to be some form of uh, change in this sport.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the change. I think as much as some of the message board people or some of the fans, because uh, if you look back at the history of it, it the the format has always changed, and there's always been tweaks. And we're 60 years into this thing, not 200 years into this thing, like some. What are we? What are we grabbing back here? This
2: was saved out of the old bass offices for me. Is
0: that the whole course?
2: That's it. Yep. By all of them.
0: Yep. That's the whole course. And there were all sorts of nightmare scenarios on the whole course versus who you drew and what hole you were supposed to be in and guys who complained about that. But it was cool. It was innovative. It was unique. Like I, I've never been opposed to um I've never been opposed to the format changes. I've never been opposed to that. I mean, if you look at it the Elite series that started in two thousand and six, we're now entering uh the 14th, 15th year of the Bassmaster Elite Series, that is by far the longest running consecutive same format name trail that's been in existence in professional fishing history.
2: Yeah, that's cool. Hey, let's talk about something else.
0: All right.
2: How about Greg Gallagher's um, 1015?
0: Okay. Yeah. You want to talk about a 55 gallon drum that made the Basscat live well look tiny, Rick. <laughs> Did you see him pulling that thing out? Like the shot of just the head and the body?
2: I've got a video of of him weighing it where it weighed. um, They sent me the video when they caught it. When did Um,
0: you, did he personally send it to you? Like, how did you actually hear about it?
2: I wanted my rep up there to send it to me because Clemens Marines, our dealer up there and they're, they're jumping into the bass side. They're a really big runabout and recreational dealer, And they're jumping into the bass side. So they've got a couple of Jaguars and, Greg was in one of those jaguars when he caught that fish. Oh, that
0: was out of a jaguar, too. Yeah.
2: So they, they were both, both boats were out fishing that day with Clemens. Clemens are big bass anglers. They just love to fish, but they really weren't in the bass market. So they've jumped into the bass market the last couple of years in the walleye market. And they're going to try and sell some walleye and bass boats. They're doing a really good job. But that's one of the guys they've taken care of was Greg. And they were out there and they caught that. I've got it on video. Weighed ten sixteen, so ten fifteen's pretty close, huh?
0: I mean, dude, that thing was a freak. Amazing. Are you a smallmouth guy? Do you like that?
2: I don't. I don't we think we have ever talked about the smallmouth up there. Well, this is a seven. That's a seven twelve on. uh...
0: Wow. Where's that from? Can uh, you say? Up
2: there in, uh, the great place of Wisconsin, up there in the thumb on Door County. Oh, okay. So it's up there in the bay, Sturgeon yeah.
0: Bay. I just did a thing with uh, Mercer that we put put it out on his channel there, and we did like a 15-minute argument on whether we'll see another 10-pounder in the next five years, and I said no. I'm, I'm pretty – I don't think we will.
2: You know, St. Clair, it's going to come out of that upper end of Erie, I think, if they do, because um, there's so much water there you know i i think the fish in michigan i don't think it's going to come on michigan i just don't think it's going to come out of green bay but i think ohio could produce it if we that there's just so much open water in areas that they don't get to to spawn and do things that people can't fish yeah and and i don't. michigan's got a lot of that but the big fish i think is going to come out it's not going to be a saint Clair you know, the river. I think it's going to be the Detroit River thing. It's, I think it's going to come out of, it's um, going to come out of Erie if we ever see mm-hmm. another.
0: See, my, my thing is, if you do the math, there's like not a very big window for that, Rick. Like, that's my only thing to where I think, so take all the water, even if you know where it is. Let's say you can narrow, there's someone on, on BTL who's like, hey, I know where Randy Van Dam caught his. I think I know where they caught theirs. There's been a couple eights. I've narrowed it down to this five or ten eight-mile circle where, like, all these freaks have come out of. But then, you know, I I was was, like I said, I was was talking the other day, and I'm like, okay, so it's not going to be a summer fish, and you can't fish for them early in the year because it's a closed season, so it's going to have to be a fall fish when it's packed on the feed, right? So you're talking October, September, October.
2: They're already really into the spawn, really, when they open the season up.
0: Right. So you're talking October, November, depending on when you get, well, that time of year up there. Windy, massive. I mean, that's why it's hard. Remember when Bass tried to go up there?
2: There is potential to catch one on the feed if they have a cold season. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, if they had a cool season and let's say spawn got held up or a late moon where it was the end of June, there is potential to do that. But, you know, I'm still with you. I think it's going to be in that circle, though, up in Erie.
0: That's what Jim was saying. Jim was saying that on the show.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be in that circle up there, which we're actually going to hurt it now because we're talking about it. <laughs> no,
0: so listen to this. So let's just do October and the first half of November. Let's just say that's probably when it'll be caught, like where this one was caught. So you're talking 45 days of out of the entire year. So out of those 45 days, let's just wash half of them.
2: Yeah, well, because it's going to be uglier than that because um, two things happen up there. One's wind. Yeah, there's weather. Yeah. So the, so the weather is going to be ridiculous. I mean, those guys will fish till it ice is in. They'll crush ice to go. So it's going to take a lot of the people out. So it's going to be really low odds that it ever gets beat. I, I think it will someday. Yeah. I don't know when. And I think the fish are there to do it. But how old is a 10-pound fish?
0: They estimated that it was between 15 and 17 years old. Which I was, I thought was shockingly young. I thought it'd be like tortoise age. They'd be like, "This fish was 51.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they're saying that it's going to be a twenty, twenty-five year old fish to to beat. It's what a couple of biologists have said.
0: That's kind of cool, though, that he, they caught it out of a cat.
2: Well, it was lucky, but I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, it was cool. I mean, we're glad to have them. They're good guys up there, at Clemens, and they're working hard. So. That's all you can ask out of them, you know. They want to be engaged in the sport. Obviously, they're anglers, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And where are they based out of? Out well, of Ohio, on the south side area.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm on it right now. Clemens, C L E M O N S. Clemens Boats since 1966.
2: Yeah, so that's like I said, they're an old lot. recreational boat dealer, and they're right on the lake. They've got full facilities, you know, to store and everything, so.
0: Oh, there it is, Bass Cat.
2: Yeah, but that was pretty cool of them to have that, and I got that video from our rep up there, Brett King. Brett's a pretty good guy, and, you know, he's a professional walleye guy also, so he was pretty impressed. And he's kind of having to adopt the bass ways a little bit, but he sells a lot of yard craft up there.
0: Mm-hmm. What else you got?
2: That's about it. I didn't have much else on my list to talk about.
0: Man, you keep mentioning all these guys, so now I want to get uh, Gleeby on the show. You think he'd be up for it?
2: Yeah, Gleeby's not. Um, <laughs> he, he'd probably be up for it. you visit with him. I, I probably wouldn't know if you'd make a whole show out of Gleeby, but, you know, you'd talk about what he did. You know, and everybody out west wants to talk about Dobbins because that's today's gen- genre, today's yeah. generation. I mean, I don't even know how many boats and trucks Gleeby won. You mentioned
0: Tucker. Was that Mark Tucker you were talking about? Yeah, dude, we need to have him back on. That was remember that. I mean, last time when he won that on that slowly sinking rogue there to get back in the classic there after he'd retired from the elite series. Yeah, Mark
2: laying concrete today. He's a good guy, man.
0: Yeah, I'd like to get him back on. You mentioned uh, Robert Lee.
2: Yeah, Robert's out of fishing a little bit. His boy Hayden's fishing out west now. That's third generation.
0: Wow. Anyway, I always end, end doing, up with like
2: really a, doing month, a good of shows.
0: month of shows. Now, he after had a month of shows. I
2: actually did all right the other day. He was close to the cut out there on the uh, Pro Am Championship for Wild West the other day. So, Hayden, yeah. good over.
0: If you guys want more information on the West and the different shows, uh, a couple months ago, I did a show with uh, Ken Ma, and Ken came on and literally for 30 minutes talked about uh, the Wild West, the format that's going on out there, uh, the toyota series i think you did mention the abas out there and then the one bass and just kind of everything that's going on on the on the west coast really kind of put it into perspective some really cool stuff they're doing out there so worth a listen like i said
2: we're seeing growth out there for the first time and i mean i go all the way back to gary marshall and north hollywood marine was a big deal out there and that was a long time before you and uh and you know those were the big sticks out there back in the day and the west has never been that big a market but it's kind of nice to see it growing.
0: Yep, you going to be at the classic with a with all the cats?
2: Redcrest Red and the classic.
0: Okay. Well, I'll probably see it both then.
2: We'll see you before then somewhere. Yeah. Yep. You keeping your eye on young guys, right?
0: Yeah, who's all, who are you uh who are you? keeping your eye on now these days because it's it the guys that i think are young guys are like in their 30s now rick which that snuck up on me real quick with like jordan and jacob and justin Bertrand, who just won like they're like in their 30s now and now like the young guys are like really young
2: yeah we've got some of course you know you look at what's happened with college and bringing kids out of college and uh you know you look at guys there's a lot of them in college of course um, uh, Rick up there at Drury he's done a great job building a team and, um, he's really done a wonderful job. He left, uh, left the best pro scenario, Nitro, and he's built a heck of a team up there at Drury. But, you know, I look at these young kids up like Jerry Brumbaugh and some of the ones that are coming into the sport right now. And then i look at probably the one that I think sticks out the most to me today coming out of high school right now is Trey McKinney.
0: Trey McKinney.
2: Yeah, there's another boy down in Texas. that's really strong. There's no Oh, Rick
0: there. Emmett's the head coach of Drury. Yeah, I know you said Rick, but I just wanted to
2: make sure. It's Rick Emmett. I didn't figure. I figured you knew that.
0: No, I didn't.
2: Yeah, Rick left Best Pro and the Who Run Pro team over there. and Now he's at Drury, and he's got a he's got a bang up team. You know, Sam. Oh Bonner. yeah,
0: they got a full on website and all sorts of stuff on there like there it's, well, it's like so deal. yeah it's like a you, whole you, bass fishing website
2: yeah you want to go to Stephen f austin or one of those dallas baptists and look at what some of the teams are doing but yeah the auburn of course is the noted team in the sport but rick's doing uh, a good job
0: all right out of high school who was it who you said out of high school that i like trey
2: mckinney okay there's another young man his name escapes me right now out of texas it's really strong He's a high school angler.
0: Oh, is Trey was uh did Trey McKinney fish the NPFL this year?
2: Um, don't think he did. Maybe no. he did. I think that's a different McKinney.
0: Okay. He's out of uh Illinois. Yeah. He's got his, his own. Website too.
2: Mom and Dad supporting him. Great deal.
0: All right. I'll have to check that out. I mean, I was looking at it. I'm shocked. So if you look at Anglers out of uh, Illinois, and I'm sure you could name some more. Obviously, Chad Morgan Taylor, Carbondale, Illinois, Southern Illinois, like that. Um, a rare
2: bird coming out of Illinois.
0: Yeah, but uh, I remember. Do you remember Doc Merkin? Yeah doc Doc Merkin was out of
2: was and out of talk Illinois. Doc, doc about five months or four months ago.
0: Really, what's he up to? He's like to me. I always had the butt seat and the gold rim glasses. Yeah, always he's very retired, well put together. He's
2: working two days a week for his son, who has his vet practice. Uh, he drives in about ninety miles to go see to go to work or two hours to go to work and works two days a week. He's a vet.
0: Okay. That that's the doc. Uh uh Trey's, yeah, I'm looking at Trey yeah, Trey McKinney's uh fa- uh channel, Trey Fishing dot com. And it's like up to date and rolling too. That's a very yeah, interesting Yeah, Joe movie. Burbick
2: died about a year ago, but Joe Burbick's first guy in Illinois to win a Bassmaster event. And he was from Illinois? Yeah, nineteen sixty nine nine one seminole. What was his name? Joe Verbeck.
0: I did not know about that. Yeah. And then there's been uh, several, several other Illinois guys. I don't want to leave them out. But as far as like a juggernaut, like Illinois angler that has you know classics, AOIs, major multiple wins, kind of a, kind of a vacant state.
2: It's a barren state. You know, I don't remember you talk about stories and. So we had a guy named, we're running way long here, Matt, but uh, we had a guy that was a friend of mine. He worked for um, Grandpa Seabold, which was Billy Seabold's dad at Granite City Boat and Motor, and then transferred over when Bob Richardson bought Granite City Boat and Motor. His name was John Kramer. And at the time, John was fishing a bait, and they drew. <clears throat> he drew a guy named Rick Quan on Ren Lake. And so John was fishing with Rick, and he is catching them on this bait that nobody knew about. And you know that bait today. And Rick Klein won the event on it called a Lunker Lure. The Buzz Bait. Buzz Bait.
0: Flat rubber. Jeffrey speaking. It was not
2: even rubber yet. It was vinyl skirts back then rubber skirts, vinyl skirts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was um, the John came out of Illinois and, and actually there's a lot of stuff came out of Illinois that people don't realize and they don't have much there. Hill is the known deal. Rayburn is, of course, you know, I think the kingdom. And then you've got Rend and Carlisle and Crab Orchard and <laughs> yeah, not much in Illinois. So a lot of <laughs> Illinois guys wind up going to K Lake.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's like four and a half hours away. It's really like, you know, I grew up in central Illinois, Rick. Decatur, Illinois is where I grew up, Fisher the Assumption Bass Club, and it felt like in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, now I look back and I'm like, dude, you're like five hours, five and a half, six hours from St. Clair. You're like four and a half, five hours from Kentucky Lake. You're six and a half, seven hours from uh, uh, in Ohio there at uh Lake Erie. I'm like you're Mm -hmm. you're just I tell my buddies I'm like you're a drive away and they're like yeah well you're jaded because you drive all over the country they're like seven hours is a long way I'm like that's like like an afternoon
2: Illinois that has a lot of high quality and that's you wind up where even when they do catch them they catch them on occasion and but you know actually there's they're catching some fish on some of those lakes in Illinois now they've kind of come alive.
0: That's good stuff. All right, I'm going to let you get back to work. Like I said, we could do this. I would definitely want to get you uh, back on in uh, sometime during the first quarter of 2023 if you're willing to go for round two unless unless you want to yeah, just we'll, keep going we'll,
2: here. We'll touch base and we'll get together again. only thing that's going to kill Illinois, Matt, is what the what the uh, conservation department's done with it, putting a yeah that's on not their good. events. So that's one of the things in Illinois that's hurting them right now.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. That's worth a five-minute talk here. So Terry Brown is the one that brought this up. Long time. uh, Wired to Fish. He's from Illinois. Bloomington area there. One of the first guys that I ever got to know in the industry. Uh, And he writes for the Pantograph, which is a uh, a newspaper there, the outdoor section in Illinois. And I, I follow up with his, keep up with his column. So basically, they found some law or rule that was like put into place like tenor 20 years ago where there was supposed to be some sort of tax or fee or something on these recreational tournaments out of ramps that were owned by the state and they have never enforced it they've never utilized it they've never done anything so all of a sudden over the yeah, yeah they're calling it a fee but what they're doing and they're systematically doing it, and I'm afraid and this is not good for tournament fishing, is they're systematically basically regulating fishing tournaments out of these lakes if you're planning on use one of these ramps. Between yeah, taking percentages, it's bad. They're
2: keeping like 10% of the fees or something, and it's a fee-based. It's not fee-based, so it's not like this much for this many boats and this much for this many boats. It's strictly a percentage. So there's no doubt it's a tax. So the argument goes: is it a tax or is it a fee? Well, it's a tax. It's a
0: percentage of the purse,
2: right? And so they're basically keeping it, and that's just a tax. So that's that's where I think Rick Burns at AC tournaments, and I think Terry Brown, some more, need to get together and continue to challenge it. It'll happen, but that's really hurting Tennessee. I mean, hurting Illinois on their on their base right now.
0: I agree. The other thing I like about Illinois, I went back and fished a couple of the tournaments there, or Wednesday nighters last year on my way up north, and uh, you can get from one end to the other in most of those lakes
2: pretty quick. <laughs> They're not very big.
0: No, but there's a lot of good people there. A lot of diehard bass fishermen there uh, that follow the sport, and uh actually met a couple of the guys that were fishing uh, as a co-angler in the Opens uh, this year, so... That's right. good stuff, Rick.
2: Way long, plenty. Heck, of- I
0: enjoyed it. it does not feel like an hour and fifty-two minutes. Hopefully, you're of the same. Yeah, uh, I looked up
2: the clock while ago. and said, "Man, we've been on for a while."
0: I know, but I love it. History up to date. I learned a lot. I got a list of guys that I want to contact to get them on the list too. So,
2: all right, you thanks, Rick. Holler, man, we'll do. See ya. Thank you. All
0: right, that was Rick Pearson. Probably. uh Probably the long, one of the longest shows we've done this year. But like I said, it's a podcast that I run go however long we want. So we decided to go an hour and 52 minutes. We're going to go even longer because we're going to take our final break of the show. And when we come back, we're going to preview what we have going on for the rest of the week. Take some questions if you have any. Wrap things up. This is BTL on a chilly Monday. It's finally getting cold here after I complained about how it's not getting cold. Now it's too cold and I'm complaining about it. BTL on a Monday. We will be back right after this are you
3: looking to install your own fishing electronics well the bass tank is here to help you the solution is the bass tank power harness it takes the guesswork out of installation no more voltage issues or interference designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage
2: installation done right with the help of the bass tank power harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The bass tank power harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com.
4: Get the best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat.
2: Try the deep dive app today. Get that beast right there.
0: Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronics setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com.
5: The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36 ton multidirectional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year and the kamikaze swim on is a perfect match for any vibrating jig two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism there are 17 colors see them all at bigbitebaits.com
4: the spro little john crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever i need a fish in the boat so you can never have enough new colors That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got. The Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you want to give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD.
3: Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well-suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The round bend offers a larger bite area perfect for any worm presentation while increasing your hookup ratios the newly enhanced z-band holds your plastics on the hook longer reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics available in two-aught three-aught four-aught and five-aught this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer preparation is key to success and that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence.
0: Alright, welcome. Welcome back, wrapping things up on a Monday Reading some comments here. There's one more fish. Matt, I fished my STS at Surgeon Bay for the first time in rough water. Caught a five-pound swan with the boot. a reason for handling rough water. He signed my boat. Please thank him for me. I'm assuming that Rick signed his, uh, his STS. So one of the things I want to mention, I mentioned last week, I really didn't go into uh, detail about my level of uh, anxiety over this, so to speak. So podcasting, the fishing stuff, the tournaments live, one of the things that I really haven't, uh dabbled a lot in is the uh tv side of it and i had the opportunity to uh film my first uh tv show uh with let's talk fish with uh with andrew upshaw and what he does over there and i know he runs it you can go to their their uh YouTube site and watch all of them. And, you know, Todd's filled in and done a couple. Uh, Bradley Hallman's done one, so I watched a bunch, but I went to go do a crappie one on Lake Eufaula. Dude, I have a completely newfound respect for the TV show guys. Like, the Mercer, the Zona, what Andrew's doing, the guys who film the TV shows. Like, it was I it, I I literally was probably more nervous like doing that as far as getting ready and doing it. You know, they got the cameraman that shows up. He jumps in the boat. It's your responsibility to do it all. It was. It was a totally different vibe, uh, and one of the things that I want to do uh, before before the end of the year is get Andrew on to talk about uh, that show, because as I room and talk with him over the course of the year, you know we would be at uh, open, or open events, and he'd get there a day earlier, stay a day, and he'd be like, yeah, I got to go film a TV show for this and this, and he'd come back, yeah, it went well, or boy, it was tough, like the way that he is able to to rack that out after having been a part of it and you get the mic on and talk totally different vibe than anything else i have done in the industry. But I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's going to come out until next year. I ended up catching a few nice ones, uh, on the long pole, but it is kind of crappy season. So, uh, we got a cool show. Uh, has been on the, on the show a couple times. Once with Cody Meyer, he was actually practice practicing with them, spending some time up North. And then once he was the guest, but Tristan McCormick, uh, Back in the Bassmaster Classic after winning on uh, Hartwell. But one of the things that I don't think has been really talked about, expanded on enough, is the fact that he did all this as the college bass representative through the Bassmaster College program after winning the bracket, getting in last year's Classic, got entries into all nine Opens this year, won that last one, got back in, made a lot of money, uh is has some options into next year so we're going to talk about what he's going to do i also was on uh like strike king's website and he's like front and center on that when you log on to strike king so for a 24 year old guy 22 23 24 somewhere around that he's got the open win he's going to back to back bassmaster classics uh expect him to be a factor in tennessee for this classic so we'll have him on for the duration of the show Uh, tomorrow also very active in the industry smart he's going to be around for a long time uh, and obviously is showing his level of talent on the water and then it is the return we've got 10 pounders and all sorts of questions and there's only one man who can answer them, and that is Ken Duke so Ken Duke comes on Wednesday Thursday big announcement with Frank Scalish on day 4 number 93 I believe We're marching towards this very specific number and uh, I think Thursday we'll be able to announce what will happen once we get to show 100. Uh, And then some cool stuff going on into the Thanksgiving holiday break I am working at is on my to-do list actually got a uh, email about that during the show as far as apparel both on the day four and the uh, bass talk live side and I'll be catching up on a bunch of stuff afterwards so uh, big shout out to Rick Pierce Uh, you know he he gave his top three of anglers he is definitely in the top three in the entire industry of knowledge and passion Uh, No doubt about that. So, uh, big shout out to Rick for taking time off. Also, all the listeners, viewers, great feedback with that. Tomorrow, as I get the music queued up here, Tristan McCormick on BTL. That's it. Thanks for sticking around for two hours of BTL on a Monday. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow.